Welcome back to the Hemingway List podcast. Book 13, Chapter 14. What did you think of Pierre's actions in this chapter? Why do you think he started laughing and what is your interpretation of him in this state as a long-standing prisoner? FDLP 1 says, There's a post-apocalyptic feel to this chapter with the red full moon, horse meat dinners. I thought Pierre's laugh was bittersweet maniacally recognizing the absurdity of the circumstance, but also trying to express a freedom by retaining the previous outlook and cheeriness he'd gained. Rye Bread Egg says, I agree, very apocalyptic chapter. <clears throat> there, was a, there was a shift in the tone, wasn't there? Things were bleak already and things were grim, but in this tone, this one, it did seem like things were really you know, getting down to the, the the worst of the situation. Although I would say, I've eaten horse meat before, it's not that bad. I ate horse meat, uh, what's it called? Tartare? Um, where you dip it in raw egg. Raw horse meat in raw egg. That's a little memento of my time in Tokyo. And it wasn't too bad. I kind of liked it. Um, not much conversation on that chapter, so let's keep reading. Chapter 15. In the early days of October, another envoy came to Kutuzov with a letter from Napoleon propos- proposing peace and falsely dated from Moscow, though Napoleon was already not far from Kutuzov on the old Kaluga Road. Kutuzov replied to this letter, as he had done to the one formerly brought by Lauriston, saying that there could be no question of peace. Soon after that, a report was received from Dorokov's guerrilla detachment operating to the left of Tarutino that troops of Borussia's division had been sent at Forminsk and that being separated from the rest of the French army, they might easily be destroyed. The soldiers and officers again demanded action. Generals on the staff, excited by the memory of the easy victory at Tarutino, urged Kutuzov to carry out Dorokov's suggestion. Kutuzov did not consider any offensive necessary. The result was a compromise which was inevitable. A small detachment was sent to Forminsk to attack Borussia. By a strange coincidence, this task, which turned out to be a most difficult and important one, was entrusted to to Dokorotov. That same modest little Dokorotov, whom no one had described to us as drawing... What? As drawing up... Plans of battles, dashing about in front of regiments, showering, showering crosses on batteries, and so on, and who was thought to be, and was spoken of, as undecided and undiscerning, but whom we find commanding wherever the position was most difficult all through the Russia-French wars from Austerlitz to the year 1813. At Austerlitz he remained last at the August Dam, rallying the regiments, saving what was possible when all were flying and perishing and not a single general was left in the rear guard. Ill with fever, he was sent to Smolensk with 20,000 men to defend the town against Napoleon, Napoleon's whole army. In Smolensk, at the Malakov Gate, he had hardly dozed off in a paroxysm of fever before he was awakened by the bombardment of the town. The Smolensk held out all day long. At the Battle of Borodino, when Bagration was killed and nine-tenths of the men of our left flank had fallen, 
and the full force of the French artillery fire was directed against it, the man sent there was this same irresolute and undiscerning doctor of Kutuzov hastening to rectify a mistake he had made by sending someone else there first, and the quiet little doctor of rode thither, and Borodino became the greatest glory of the Russian army. Many heroes have been described to us in verse and prose, but Dokturov scarcely a word has been said. It was Dokturov again whom they sent to Forminsk and from there to Melo Yaroslavets, the place where the last battle with the French was fought and where the obvious disintegration of the French army began, and we are told of many geniuses and heroes of that period of the campaign, but of Dokturov nothing or very little is said, and that dubiously. And this silence about Dokturov is the clearest testimony to his merit. It is natural for a man who does not understand the workings of a machine to imagine that a shaving that has fallen into it by chance and is interfering with its action and tossing about in it is its most important part. The man who does not understand the construction of the machine cannot conceive that the small connecting cogwheel which revolves quietly is one of the most essential parts of the machine, and not the shaving which merely harms and hinders the working. On the 10th of October, when Dokturov had gone halfway to Forminsk and stopped at the village of Aristovo, preparing faithfully to execute the orders he had received, the whole French army, having in its convulsive movement reached Murat's position, apparently, in order to give battle, suddenly without any reason, turned off to the left onto the new Kaluga road and began to enter Forminsk, where only Broussier had been till then. At that time, Dokturov had under his command, besides Dokturov's attachment, the two small guerrilla detachments of Figner and Seslovin. On the evening of October 11th, Seslovin came to the Aristovo headquarters with a French guardsman he had captured. The prisoner said that the troops that had entered Forminsk that day were the vanguard of the whole army, that Napoleon was there, and the whole army had left Moscow four days previously. That same evening, a house serf who had come from Borovsk said he had seen an immense army entering the town. Some Cossacks of Dokturov's detachment, detachment reported having sighted the French guards marching along the road to Borovsk. From all these reports, it was evident that, that where they had expected to meet a single division, there was now the whole French army marching from Moscow in an unexpected direction along the Kaluga road. Dokturov was unwilling to undertake any action, as it was not clear to him now what he ought to do. He had been ordered to attack Forminsk, but only Brusia had been there at that time, and now the whole French army was there. Ermolov wished to act on his own judgment, but Dokturov insisted that he must have Kutuzov's instructions, so it was decided to send a dispatch to the staff. For this purpose, a capable officer, Bolkovtinov, was chosen, who was to explain the whole affair by word of mouth, besides delivering a written report. Toward midnight, Bolkotinov, having received the dispatch and verbal instructions, galloped off to the general staff accompanied by a Cossack with a, with spare horses. Alright, there we go. There's that chapter for you. Um, cool. Cool, cool, cool. Alright, thank you very much for listening. I'll see you tomorrow.